Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. Clockwork, a short story. It was summer when Michael and I moved into the house. We brought scant furniture with us, just a bed, some cupboards, an overstuffed sofa and the TV, and we were glad that the previous owner had left us so much. It was good stuff too, tall backed dining room chairs that matched the table, cabinets with glass doors and, in one corner of the front room, a tall grandfather clock. We were far too busy in those first hours to do more than look briefly at it. Its sonorous ticking was background noise, easily buried under shouts of, Mary, where's the box with all the shoes in it? And, I'm sure I left my keys right here. Finally, though, we sat in our front room, the wind-up radio on, relaxing in the glow of hard work and happiness. The power wasn't going to be hooked up for another couple of days, and flickering candles made shadows that seemed alive on the walls. It was Michael that noticed the sound first. I felt his body tense a little bit as we sat curled up, listening to news reports of bombs falling on a distant country. What's up? I asked. The ticking, he said. It's just... I knew what he meant. As soon as he mentioned it, the sound intruded on my own consciousness. We had never owned a clock that ticked so loudly, so obtrusively. It'll wake me up at night, he said. It ticks so loudly. Well, we don't have to keep it, I said. The previous owner said we could keep what we wanted and ditch the rest. We were silent for a moment, and then I felt him nod. I guess I can stop the pendulum, get a good night's sleep tonight. He wriggled out from underneath me and padded over the bare floor to the clock. As annoying as it was, anyone could see that it was magnificent. A polished wooden body, beautifully patterned, with an intricate white face around which ornate black hands paced. It was taller than either of us, and seemed almost to loom out of the corner, its fluted crown nearly touching the ceiling. Michael pulled the small brass handle, and the door on its front opened with a resounding creak. Any luck? I said. He didn't reply. I clambered out of the sofa and went to stand next to him. He was staring into the grandfather clock's body, which was dark and empty. No pendulum, no weights. How is it working? he asked quietly. I yawned. The mechanism must all be behind the clock face. It's probably not a real antique. With a shrug, I slumped back down onto the sofa. I don't know. Leave it for now, Michael. We can move it out of the house tomorrow. He stood, staring into the empty body for a bit longer, then slowly closed the door and turned around. He really did look tired. Dark rings circled his eyes, and even in the golden light of the candles, his face looked pallid. Yeah. Tomorrow, he said, coming over and perching on the edge of the sofa. I smiled and took his face in my hands, turning his head and kissing him gently. Like ice melting, his frown became a smile, and the kiss became something more until we escaped into the bedroom and, eventually, to sleep. I awoke to darkness, total and absolute. Out in the countryside, it was so much darker than the city, and I lay for a moment waiting for my eyes to adjust. It was like being in a black velvet bag, and I rolled onto my side and reached out for Michael. 
my fingers found only bedsheets and a faint warmth where he had been not long ago. I listened, and then I heard a distant creak. Michael? I said. No reply. I swung my legs out, bare feet aching slightly from the cold floor, and felt my way around the bed. The door was ajar, and I walked along the corridor and down the stairs. Michael? You there? A small fire of fear kindled in my heart. What if he was injured? Everything was new to us here, furniture in odd places. Michael? There was a small light coming from the front room, and, heart thudding in my chest, I walked to the doorway. There, in front of the grandfather clock, was Michael. The door was open and he was staring into it. A small torch was loosely clutched in his fingers. Was he sleepwalking? Michael? What the hell? I said, walking over to him. It's the middle of the night. There's nothing inside, he said in a hoarse whisper. Why is there nothing inside? I glanced into the darkness within the clock and saw a space that a child would have trouble hiding in, bare, unfinished wood with dust gathered in the corners. I don't know, love, but it's time to sleep now. I wrapped my fingers around his arm and gasped, recoiling. He was cold, colder than any person had a right to be. I gently turned him round and closed the door to the clock. Come on, Michael. It's late. We're in an unfamiliar place and it's time we went back to bed. He blinked heavily and nodded. Sure, he murmured. I turned and began to walk back to the stairs and felt his cold hand slip into mine. The morning brought only grey skies and shivering as the heat drained out of the old house. I checked on Michael, still colder than anyone had a right to be but peacefully asleep, and wrapped myself up in my dressing gown to make coffee. A dozen small boxes still lined the kitchen worktop and I busied myself unpacking, finding places for everything. No doubt I would change it all within a month, I thought to myself, as I took out the next object. It was a small silver picture frame, Michael and I grinning like idiots on our wedding day. Love, warm and comforting, welled up inside me and I placed the picture in the front room, on top of the TV. It wasn't until I began to prepare a light snack for lunch that I realised Michael had still not surfaced from bed. I made another pot of coffee and took a mug upstairs for him. He was still asleep, and I began to worry. Was he ill? I stroked his hair, perhaps a little harder than would be comfortable, and was rewarded with a flicker of his eyelids as he surfaced. What time is it? Gone eleven in the morning. I grinned, despite my worry. I'm glad to see you awake. I had the weirdest dream, he said, running his hand through his hair. I was in the front room, and there was something inside the clock. I froze, eyes wide as he went on. I opened the door, and inside there was... Nothing, I said, beginning to wonder who had dreamed what last night. There was nothing. He nodded. Eh, it's just a dream, he muttered. Is that coffee for me? Another day of lifting boxes, of making things just so. We put music on, filling the cold brick walls with yay yeah, yeah, yeahs and the white stripes. We danced up the stairs and sang at each other as we organised the books. We forgot about the previous night. Pizza was ordered and eaten, and replete, we bedded down for the night. As I lay on my back, satisfied, I stared into the darkness, 
Everything we put away makes this place feel more like home, I said. A small snore was the only answer I received. Smiling, I closed my eyes. I awoke into cloying darkness again, somehow perfectly alert. I touched Michael's side of the bed. Nothing. No Michael. I slid out of bed, a little more familiar with the layout, and walked along the upstairs hallway. I stepped onto the top stair. A creak. Another stair. Creak. 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 Every step. Every time my bare foot put any weight on the wood. Creak. The final step groaned the loudest, and then I stepped onto the stone floor of the downstairs. Another creak. Michael, I said, my voice disappearing into nothing. My heart was suddenly in my throat. Stone floors don't creak. Michael, I said, a little stronger this time. There was the light again, the torch from the front room. He was stood in front of the open grandfather clock, staring into it, torch clutched in his hand. I moved towards him. This is... Michael, you're scaring me, I said quietly. Come back to bed. It's empty, he murmured. He turned towards me and I could see sweat beading on his brow. His face was grey and his lips a purplish blue. It shouldn't be empty. The torch fell from his hand and hit the floor. I heard glass tinkle and the light snapped off. The ticking and the sound of our breathing filled the room. My eyes, used to the light, struggled to make sense of the darkness and I reached out for the back of the sofa. Michael! This has got to stop. Come back to bed with me. I heard him move in the darkness, cloth rasping over cloth, and then the creak of the door closing on the clock. His hand, colder now than ever, slipped into mine, and together we felt our way back up the stairs. We'll get rid of the clock tomorrow, okay? I said. Michael didn't reply, and his hand dropped from mine as I moved into the bedroom. Okay? He didn't reply, and my breath caught in my throat. The silence was deafening. Not a single sound throughout the house. Not even the clock. Michael? I reached out, feeling for him, but he wasn't there. I moved back along the top of the stairs, the banister firm in my hand. Could he have gone back downstairs? But the stairs creak. My legs were weak and my stomach churned as I began to descend. Mary, I heard as I reached the ground floor. Relief thundered through me. Michael, where are you? It's dark, Mary. I can't see you. I followed the sound of his voice back into the front room. Was he stood in front of the clock again? I'm... I think I'm stuck, Mary, he said. His voice was strangely muffled and I moved towards the clock. Michael, I can't find you. Are you by the clock? Mary? Are you there, Mary? It's dark. I think I'm stuck. I realised as I made contact with the clock's hard wooden body that he couldn't hear me, wasn't responding to my questions. He sounded almost as if he were inside the clock, and I rested my ear to the door. As regular as clockwork, I heard a distant heartbeat from within the clock's body, fingers trembling. 
I grasped the brass handle and yanked the door open, fully expecting Michael to tumble out onto the floor. Nothing. No sound. No movement. I put my hands blindly into the empty space, finding only unvarnished wood, and then, further down, something smooth and rubbery. I felt the ridges of Michael's torch, about halfway down. Something was below it, many things. Another torch, smaller and plastic, a cigarette lighter was beneath that, and then another torch, a pile of torches, their balance disturbed, and beneath them I felt lanterns, their glass shattered, their metal shutters warped, candles, greasy wax releasing an ancient smell into the room, and as I pushed my hands deeper into the pile I felt a wooden torch at the base, oily cloth still wrapped around its head. As I sat in the darkness, uncomprehending, from above me I heard Michael's voice. Mary? Are you there? Mary? I can't hear a thing over the sound of this clock. Mary!